Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Are you doing what you love or just what you're expected to do? What's your zone of genius and how can you find it? And why do some folks sabotage their success? Gay Hendricks is the best-selling author of many books, including The Big Leap. He's helped thousands of people create better lives, careers, and relationships. And today, we're going to go all the way back to a conversation we had in January of 2010. This was originally part of a course that I created and thought it would be great to share on the podcast. Enjoy. Today, we're talking with Gay Hendricks. He is the best-selling author of Five Wishes, as well as The Big Leap, Conquer Your Hidden Fear and Take Life to the Next Level. Gay, thank you so much for being on The New Man Life. My pleasure. Great being with you. Uh, So today, we're talking about a zone of genius, this area of genius. And, and, and before we even define what that is, um, why should a guy care? What's in it for him to reveal his zone of genius? Well, a couple of reasons. One is because if you don't get to that place in life, if you don't open up your zone of genius, you don't feel like you're using your full potential. And all of us have that zone of genius inside us. And if we don't make sincere efforts to go find it and bring it out and put it out into the world, then all of life doesn't feel like it's working quite right. It's just like if you're driving along in a car and your right rear tire is only half inflated. You know, you can probably get there okay, but it's not going to be half as smooth and half as much fun. And it certainly affects your acceleration. Okay. Okay. Got it. And this is, so this is another way of saying this is helping guys reveal their potential, reveal what it is they truly have that's unique for them and bringing that into the world, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, my wife and I just celebrated our 30th anniversary of, of meeting each other way back when. And um, we were spending some time kind of reflecting over how we've changed over the years. And, uh, you know, there, like there was a whole section of my life where I was a competitive squash player. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, do you know what squash is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, a lot of people, if they, you know, grow up, 
squash hasn't been played, they say, huh? <laughs> you know, but uh, anyway, uh, so if you're if you're listening in one of those places where they don't play squash, it's kind of like a, a small version of tennis played in a small room. <laughs> and uh, and it's a wildly competitive game. And so I was I was into that world for many, many years. And now, you know, like uh, when I turned 40, I, I just lost interest in playing uh, and not not just because the 19 year olds were beating the heck out of me but, <laughs> uh, but i i developed other interests you know so we were we were my wife katie and i were talking about how we've gone through so many changes over the years and yet there are certain things that are constants under there and that's why i say you know like if your passion is football or if your passion is flowers or if you're if you're writing a great symphony or making a great soup it doesn't really matter as long as you're calling on that zone of genius inside yourself that place that's a a creator that knows how to innovate that knows how to get something done that's seemingly impossible to do you know it's that part of ourselves that we can call on that is is really our creative home base inside ourselves. It seems like it's the one thing that's really unique to us, uh, that, that's going to really, when we hit that button, and I've experienced this many times in my life, like, th- this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is why I'm on this planet. Is that is that the feeling? Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly the feeling. And, you know, I started out, I was a football player in high school. I was um, not very athletically talented, but I was big, you know, so the coach put me in the middle of the defensive line. And he basically said, look, you'll never be a decent athlete. All you want to do here is fall down and make a big pile so nobody can get over it, you know. <laughs> and, uh, so, and he was actually pretty accurate, you know. I, I, uh, I didn't have a lot of uh, athletic skills, especially when I was in the, you know, 10th grade of high school, but I was just a, you know, a big 220-pound, six-foot-one kid. And, uh, uh, you know, he took one look at me, run, and said he'll never be in the backfield, but I can probably use him in the middle of the line. And so, uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you're called on to serve, as long as you can find that place in yourself where you say, wow, you know, this is calling on a part of me. This is giving a giving a, me a new opportunity to learn and to bring forth something that I didn't know about myself. Okay, wonderful. Well, in your book, uh, in The Big Leap, you talk a bit about the difference between, you know, there's the zone of genius, which is what we're talking about now, but then there's the zone of competency and the zone of excellence. And, and, it, and you said, uh, from what I... My, from what I understand of your of your writing is that most people hang out in their zone of competency or their zone of excellence. What do you can you explain that? Yes. So let's think of four zones. There's your zone of competence, those things that you're good at, but somebody else could do them just as well. And then there's your zone of incompetence, where there are things that you do that you may not even be very good at, and somebody else could do it even better. You know, like like for me, I've managed to get through the past 30 years without balancing a checkbook or making a budget. I'm just not very <laughs> good at that kind of stuff. I put my attention on writing books and making movies and things that make money, but I don't have any skill at keeping track of it. So I got people that can do that for me. And that's what I recommend is to identify things in your zone of incompetence and your zone of competence and get somebody else to do those. And they will free up time for you to spend time in your zone of excellence and ultimately your zone of genius. Your zone of excellence excellence is probably where a lot of people get stuck, actually. Uh, and, it, and it actually 
the world kind of conspires around you to keep you stuck there. Because if you're excellent at something, a lot of people come to depend on you around you. And so a lot of my clients, for example, when I coach them, they come to me and they're operating in their zone of excellence. They're doing a great job with their business, or they're doing a great job being an attorney or a great job, whatever their uh, particular line of work is. And yet they feel inside that there's some part of them that's rusting out, that's not really giving them the opportunity to express themselves fully. So I can't tell you the number of, I mean, hundreds of times I've had conversations with people who are doing great work in their zone of excellence who have told me, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm sort of getting rewarded now for not really even being at the top of my game. I can do a lot of what I do in my sleep, but people love it. And so, you know, I had an attorney <clears throat> a while back. Uh, I was I was pointing this out to him that he didn't look like he was living in his zone of genius. And he said, you know, I know that. I've known that for years, and it's killing me. He said, but how can I give up this $500,000 a year if I jumped into my zone of genius, what if I failed? And that's a big thing for many of us. You know, we don't trust the fact that we can reinvent ourselves in our zone of genius. And a lot of times it's not even necessary. You don't have to quit being an attorney and go grow herbs in the wilds of Oregon or anything like that. You know, you just <laughs> learn to access your zone of genius right where you are. And it uh, gives a different flavor to your experience of being an attorney. That's huge. There were, there's so much that you just said there, and it reminds me of where I was in my late 20s, early 30s, when I had a successful small business. And everyone that I met, I was like, wow, you're living the life. You're doing exactly what you want, blah, blah, blah. But inside, I wasn't challenged. I knew that there was so much more. I didn't quite know what it was. But I remember feeling like there was no one really kicking my butt to step up and go into this zone of genius. Uh, and it's really easy to just get stuck there. It's like, well, everybody else is doing this. And so I'm just going to keep doing this too. Well, I, I really appreciate you bringing up a, a key point here because I say to my clients, I say, either you kick yourself in your own butt or the universe is going to do it for you. And it usually doesn't do as subtle a job as we can do ourselves. You know, and <laughs> what, what I mean by that is I've had many people come in, you know, that had managed to get very ill about something. I worked with a fellow a while back that had a big heart attack at work. And uh, as I was kind of working with him to help him put his life back together, he told me one day something very poignant. He said, Dr. Hendricks, you know what I've really learned is that th the universe did me a favor by having me have a heart attack. And I said, wow. I think I understand what you mean, but could you explain that? And he said, yeah. He said, I've been hearing myself inside for two or three years say, You've got to make some changes. You've got to make some changes. And I just kept putting it off and putting it off. And finally, the universe did it for me. And so uh, I, I think it's it's nice in life if we can organize life so that we get the gentlest possible lessons. You know, so I want to organize and help people organize their lives so they don't have to have those big kick in the seat of the pants. And that involves us making a big commitment ourselves to finding our zone of genius. You have to give yourself a kick in your own butt by doing it that way. Got it. Got it. Well, what if the guy listening right now is like, well, I don't have a zone of genius. Is it possible that he he just made it onto this planet and he doesn't have anything that's really beyond his zone of excellence? Well, if somebody says that to me, I apply a universal mantra to them. If they say, I don't have a zone of genius, I apply the universal mantra called bullshit. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
and and it's sincere too because I I found I've had literally hundreds of conversations with people that first told me that they didn't have a zone of genius and then sometimes even 10 minutes later by asking the right questions they were able to discover it and let me put it underlined there under asking the right questions because probably the number one email or mail I get you know kind of fan letter kinds of things from my book the big leap is that people say thank you for putting those questions in there those genius questions because they helped me really quickly find out what my zone of genius is Beautiful, beautiful. And we're going to go into those questions in just a second. Um, but first, I want to kind of just explore the topic of upper limiting, uh, the upper limit problem and these upper limiting voices. Just kind of help us under, understand that, because I think we want to put it out there in the world. It's, it's the world out there that's keeping us down. But you've got a different take on that. I surely do. Um, what I've found from working with lots of people over the years, well, as of this year, I've, I've been in this field now since 1968. So what is that? 40, 42 years as we're speaking here. Hmm. And um, so I, I probably worked in person with over 20,000 people. And so based on that experience, I can sincerely look a person in the eye and say, you do have a zone of genius within you. You just need to, to ask it and find it. And what keeps you from doing that is what I call the upper limit problem. And the upper limit problem, the simple way to understand it is that it's kind of like an inner thermostat setting that got set way back a long time ago before you could think for yourself, before you could think to set your own thermostat. Your thermostat got set early on in life that determined how much success and love and creativity you'll allow yourself to enjoy. So what happens later on in grown-up life is when you exceed your thermostat setting, if you get more successful or you get more love in your life or feel more creative, you'll often do something to sabotage yourself and cause yourself to drop back into that old familiar zone where you feel safe and secure and comfortable because that's the way it's always been. So the upper limit problem is our tendency to sabotage ourselves when we've gone outside that safe and secure thermostat setting. What we need to do is adjust our own thermostat upwards so that we don't trip it when we get more successful and feel more love and positive energy coming through our lives. This is huge because I can go out and make all of these efforts to build whatever life that I want to have. But if I don't, you're saying if I don't address these upper limiting, this thermostat, um, I'm just going to tear it down anyway. I've seen so many people do that, and it's a huge problem because, you know, um, I I don't want to tell tales out of school here, but uh, uh, there have been a couple of people in my life that did big public famous things for which they got in trouble, like Bill Clinton, for example, and uh, <laughs> and he's a guy with a massive upper limit problem. Mm. There's one part of him, in getting to know him a little bit, I discovered that there's one part of him that is the president of the United States, and then there's this other part of him that's this scared, abused kid from a poor family in Arkansas who had to get tough to deal with his uh, obnoxious stepdad. And so when that part of himself gets energized, it does things that have the emotional maturity 
of a 13-year-old kid from Arkansas, you know? Mm. And so we've all been there, you know? We've all been that 13-year-old kid from Arkansas. Even if you grew up in Boston or Brooklyn or Bombay, it doesn't really matter. We've right. all been in that place of kind of that insecure, hurting person that couldn't figure out the world. Mm. And so you later on in your life, things may be going extremely well when all of a sudden that old part of yourself takes over, unless you've done some work on that part of yourself to kind of clear up your relationship with it, it'll come at you when you're asleep and take over your life. And so it certainly did with Bill. And, you know, he's made a bunch of changes in his life and is a different person today. Uh, but still that part of him still is in there, you know, and, and hasn't been fully dealt with. And so we've got to make sure we don't make those same kinds of mistakes when we're when we're getting more mature that we knock our feet out from under ourselves when we're at our highest success. That just sounds like another whole, I mean, you, you address it beautifully in the book, and I'm going to tell the listener, definitely go pick up The Big Leap, because that's where so much of the book is dedicated to that. But I want to get back into the zone of genius and those questions we were talking about earlier. How does the guy reveal his zone of genius? First of all, I recommend making a commitment to it first. And what I mean by that is, if you commit to something big enough, you won't know how you're going to get there. So if you will make a commitment to living in your zone of genius, if you will make a commitment to doing whatever's necessary to access that zone of genius, that's the first thing you need to do. And you won't know exactly how to do that because any commitment that's worth its salt has to be big enough so that you don't know whether you can do it or not. You know, like when Columbus took off or Balboa or any of those people back there in the great age of of discovery in the in the 1500s and 1400s you know those were big commitments you know to go out of that harbor in italy in a little boat with a bunch of guys on it and say okay we've got a commitment here to find the new world and we don't even we aren't even sure it exists but that's <laughs> what our commitment is i mean that's a pretty amazing thing can you imagine the mood about a mile from shore when they <laughs> You know, probably half the people on board were saying, wait a minute, you know, uh, or let's break out the rum right now. You yeah. Know? And, yeah. Uh, so um, I, I, uh, I always honor and acknowledge anyone that um, is willing to make a big commitment to something they don't even know if they can pull off or not. But that's the first thing you need to do. Well, I want to <laughs> underline that really quick, Gabe, because so many guys, especially guys that I work with, are all about the sure thing. They, they won't even acknowledge that they want it unless they can see that they can have it. You're saying take a risk. Uh, if this is what you want, uh, if you want to live in your zone of genius, commit to it, even if you don't know how. That's what you're saying? Uh-huh. That's exactly right. And what I recommend also is then asking yourself some big questions that will help you open up your dialogue with your zone of genius. And I call them wonder questions because they're not questions that you have a ready answer to oftentimes. And the first one is to ask yourself, what do I most love to do? That's one of the best questions I've ever found to help identify your zone of genius is to simply ask yourself what you most love to do. And if you'll look back through your life, even if you're 60, 70, 80 years old right now when you're hearing this, if you look back to the early part of your life to when you were a kid and ask yourself things like, what was it that I could do all day long and never get tired doing it when I was four years old or five years old? 
what was it that I could do after school? And it didn't feel like I was doing it, even if I was sitting in a classroom at school. You know, like for me, being in the band was like that in high school. Mm. You know, my, the band period, the 60 minutes in band went by like it was 60 seconds, where for me, the 60 minutes in algebra class went by like it was 600 years. You know, I would just look at the clock every five or 10 seconds <laughs> waiting to get out. And that's probably why I can't balance my checkbook to this day. I spent too many times sleeping through algebra class. <laughs> Another good question to ask yourself is, what is it that are your unique abilities? And if you look inside yourself, you'll find yourself, okay, what is it that I can do that I'm actually better at than most people in my environment, in my, in my job or wherever I happen to be? What is it that people come to me for? Is that what I most love to do? And if you identify what some of your unique abilities are, then you, you're able to home in more on living in your zone of genius. Like right now, <clears throat> for example, uh, I sat down I guess in 1977, um, just sat down in the corner one day with a pen and pencil and started generating what my unique abilities were. And one of them that I came up with that I really love to do is I love to help people understand really complicated things in a way that's simple and useful to them, that they can go away and make use of it. Mm -hmm. And I, um, you know, I'd gotten out of, uh, I got my PhD at Stanford in psychology and I was a professor at the time. And I, I realized uh, at this moment in 1977 that I wasn't using myself fully. It, it enabled me to start focusing on what my unique abilities were rather than complaining about things the way they were. You see, one thing I've, I've learned is that a lot of people like to sit around and complain and talk about what's wrong with point A, where they are right now. Right. But what's really important is to take a fix on the horizon and say, okay, where is the point B that I want to get to? And how can I use my unique abilities to get me there? You know, complaint is an addiction. Uh, it's actually an addiction in the sense of, um, you know, like if you want to find out whether you're addicted to alcohol or cigarettes, try going a day without them and see if you feel uncomfortable or you automatically pick one up again. That's a, just a good practical way to find out whether you're addicted to something. And I give the following challenge to my clients to find out if they're addicted to blame and criticism. I say, okay, go a day without criticizing yourself or anyone else. Hmm. and see if you can do it. And by golly, I'd say over 90% of the time, people come back and say, within an hour after leaving your office, Dr. H, I was finding myself blaming and criticizing somebody while I was still in my car. And so <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing is to get rid of that addiction to blame and criticism so that you can put your attention on the horizon and say, okay, here's where I'm going and here are my unique abilities that are going to help me get there. Okay, beautiful. I, I could just imagine that for the guy, he's, he's like, well, you know, maybe he writes something down or I just get that that the, his unique ability might be right under his nose. He's overlooking it. He's, he's thinking that it should be this or that it should be able to make him money. But if it's not fitting a certain criteria, he's not even going to recognize it. Does that show up where people just completely overlook their unique ability? Uh, that's a astute comment because I often say to people, your unique ability is the water you're swimming in. And it's like a fish. If you ask a fish, 
hey, what do you think about water? The fish says, what do you mean? Because uh, they don't get that they're swimming in water. And your unique ability is often something like that. Um, uh, let me give you an example. Um, one of the things that um, I do is I ask people a question, what work do you do that doesn't seem like work when you're doing it? Mm. And um, I had a person, uh, an executive in a, in a fairly large firm, about a 500-person firm that I was working with a while back, uh, and, and she was kind of the number two person to the CEO, a uh, really talented person. And yet when she came to me, she was having migraine headaches and just didn't feel like things were going well in her life and, and, and her work and that kind of thing. So we began to look into that, and I made her the following promise. I said, your headaches will disappear the day you access your zone of genius. Just wait and see. And wow. she couldn't she couldn't believe that because she was taking all sorts of medication for her migraine headaches and all that kind of thing. And so I made her that promise. And it took us about three months of of you know kind of significantly an hour or two a week really thinking and working about these kinds of things and a whole bunch of emails back and forth between us. But let me tell you what happened. That question, what work do you do that doesn't seem like work when you're doing it? One day she called me and said, I just spent 10 minutes doing what I think you're talking about. <laughs> and, and I said, okay, describe it to me. And she said, someone came into my office with a particular operational problem and I helped them solve it. And they went out a few minutes later, 10 minutes later, and they had a clear direction. And she said, when I was doing that, that 10 minutes felt like 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. And I, I love doing that. If I could do that kind of thing all day long, I would be the happiest person in the world. And about two hours later, I get another phone call from her. And she said, you're not going to believe this. My headache went away. Wow. She said, I came in this morning feeling like I was <clears throat> going to get a migraine, and it's gone. And I said, remember what I said a couple of months ago about when you <laughs> tap into your zone of genius, your head won't ache? And she said, oh, my God, is am I that powerful? And I said, yes, you are that powerful. That's exactly how powerful all of us are. We all have that ability to reinvent ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I don't care where you are and where you're coming from and where you've been. You know, I, I just to, I think I mentioned this in the book, but I was born with some glandular problems and things like that. So I was very obese when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And then with all sorts of different medications and things like that, I finally lost some of the weight in high school and then, you know, in football and that kind of thing. And then I ballooned up again when I went to college. Um, and so um, I hurt my knee, so I couldn't uh, play athletics, uh, you know, uh, much in uh, college That's that or college football. And um, that's how I ended up getting into squash. Okay. So uh, I, um, I found that uh, I ballooned up again, but the day I reinvented myself, I've never had a weight problem again. I've lost more than 100 pounds. I was over 100 pounds overweight when I was 24 years old. I lost 100 and some pounds. 
I wore big, thick glasses when I was 24 years old, and I reinvented my eyes so that I don't have to wear glasses anymore. And so I have an unshakable belief in the power of human resilience, the ability of ourselves to reinvent ourselves, to really call forth the genius in ourselves, and to take ourselves into a whole new dimension of life that we never even imagined was possible before. I'm just freaking inspired listening to this. This is awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so I just kind of want to recap. We've done three of the questions. What do I most love to do for long stretches where I don't get tired or bored? Um, what's my unique ability? And what work do I do that doesn't seem like work? Is there another question? Another specific one I ask executives a lot of times is, what produces the highest ratio of abundance and satisfaction per time spent. So um, what people tell me frequently, for example, a common executive thing is to complain that I don't have any time to really think and do any, you know, kind of meditative planning. You know, people are always wanting my attention and that kind of thing, and I never have a chance to just sit and think for 10 minutes. So, for example, that is a 10-minute investment of time, just sitting and thinking and contemplating that may have an incredible payoff to it. Mm -hmm. You know, that some of the greatest ideas in human history have come from not even 10 minutes of reflection, but 10 seconds. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so ask yourself, what is it that I do that produces the highest ratio of abundance and satisfaction per time spent? Like if you're spending five minutes a day doing that, I'm going to ask you to do 10 minutes a day. I'm not going to ask you to quit your job and take a sailboat to Tahiti and all that kind of stuff. That might be fun, but what you can really do is right there where you're sitting, you can do twice as much as you did yesterday of that thing that produces the highest ratio of abundance and satisfaction per time spent. And it doesn't even have to be work-related. Like if you're at home with your kids or your spouse, it could be that increasing from five to 10 minutes or from 10 to 20 minutes, the amount of quality time that you spend with them. I'll give you another example. I was working with a couple a while back, um, a, um, a well-known couple in, in the media spotlight, and they were having some problems at home. And um, I was working with them on video conference. In other words, they were sitting in their living room where they live, and I was sitting um, in my office up here in California. And um, so I, um, I was working with them, and I said to them, you know, during our entire conversation, I haven't seen you two look at each other. You've been looking at me, but you never even look over at the other person when she's talking, or you never look over when he's talking. Hmm. And they kind of, their mouths opened. And so I, I just had them turn to look at each other for about 10 seconds, and they burst into tears, both of them. Wow. It was an amazing breakthrough just from a tiny little moment of contact. And see, I'm not making them wrong. I'm saying that life gets to us. You know, we get caught up in life. We yeah. get caught up in all the stresses and busyness of life. And that, in fact, that's exactly what they said. You know, we, we get caught up in all these meetings we got to go to. And then, you know, the moment I get home, I'm hit with Kevin was late for soccer practice today. What are we going to do? You know, and all of these problems. And so we never have a chance to actually genuinely connect with each other. Hmm. Wow. And it, and, and it's, and it can be just these very short 
periods. I, I, I heard you like with the guy that's like, oh, I don't have time. I'm going to have to quit my job. If I really, if I start to go down this path, it's going to disrupt everything in, in my life. And what I've heard you say is just take these little bits and do them a little bit more. Just, just expand them out a little bit more and start walking the path from that direction. Um, I, I, so many guys shut down this process and shut down their creativity if, if they don't see how uh, it's going to make them more money or if it's going to disrupt anything. They're, they're, they're you know, going to create more security or disrupt their security. Um, it just seems like how, how can we open the gates so this guy can just be clearly creative with himself and not edit himself when he's going through these questions? Well, I think that's a really good point. But what I would say is that let's just expect that we are going to edit ourselves and we are going to come across barriers in ourselves. Let's just expect that and make it no big deal. It's just like, um, you know, these questions, you treat them kind of like a little bit like slowing down to go over a speed bump, you know, just kind of slow down and savor those questions a little bit. And, and then you can go back to driving at 80 miles an hour, but not when you're going over a speed bump, you know, slow down, take it easy. And what I really think is that almost all of us come from the factory pretty much with a self-critic that goes, you know, 28 hours a day. It's going when we wake up in the morning <laughs> oftentimes. And, uh, and so let's just expect that and treat it just like we would an, another friend that we find a little bit annoying to be around sometime. Try to spend less and less and less time around it. But, but don't make it wrong, you know, because it's just another part of yourself that needs to be loved and accepted. I love that. It's, it's like, oh, well, if I still have this critic, if I still have this mental block, then, you know, I must be still stuck. And, guys, you know, get, people can get, get tripped up and get really hooked in by that voice versus just like, hey, you know what? Your, your roommate's an asshole. So, but you get to still live with them and you get to still work it out. Just don't let it run your life. Yeah, that, that little self-critical part is probably still going to be going on when you're in de on your deathbed. It's going to be say, doggone it, you're not dying right. You know, uh, you ought to be doing this a different way. <laughs> well, coming back to the unique ability. So let's say he starts to get a handle on this. And I imagine this process is something you just kind of continually revisit and continually hone like your client did. Um, why is it important that the listener can articulate it? Why is it important that he not just keep it to himself? It's important because you need to enroll the world around you, your family, your friends, your coworkers. You need to enroll them in the process of everybody opening up to their genius and their unique abilities. But you need support for you opening up to that. And so I, re I recommend that people really go public with it, you know, and just say, hey, I'm in this big inquiry right now inside myself about how to open up my zone of genius. I read this book and it's interesting, but I'm not sure I've got a zone of genius inside me. So I'd like your feedback, you know, ask the world around you, ask your spouse, ask your, ask your boyfriend or girlfriend to, to get into there with you and support you in going toward your zone of genius. And you know what? Oftentimes it inspires them to do the same thing. I, I often recommend that, you know, when I'm working with an executive is the first thing you do is you go home and you build that genius relationship with your beloved at home that will help you and support you in your quest for your own genius. 
And it sounds like this is another place where you give yourself some some real room to screw up and trip and fall and be goofy. And because uh, so many guys want to have it right, they want to have it perfect, and they want to make sure that whatever they say and comes out of their mouth is void of any possibility of critique or criticism or anything. So um, I just imagine like, hey, give yourself some space and have fun with this, even if it's a little goofy and someone looks at you and raises an eyebrow. Uh, be willing. To, nonetheless, you committed to this. Uh, put it out there. Just start start speaking it. Start putting it out in the world that you've got this unique ability, and this is and, and declare it. You know that's absolutely what you need to do. And and what's the worst that can happen? Well, um, people will laugh at you. Well, so what? They'll laugh at you anyway, probably. Um, yeah. Sometimes people will criticize you. Well, so what? People are going to criticize you anyway. You cannot live your life based on fear of other people's reactions. Um, that's a very timid way to go about life. Uh, you have to separate the world into three types of business. There's your business, there's other people's business, and then there's the universe's business. And we mess up when we try to meddle with either one other those other than ourselves, you know, so let your friend's reaction be their reaction. That's their business. Your business is opening up to your genius. I love it. I, man, I, I love that. Those three distinctions. That's huge. So many people think that they can kind of manage and, and possibly forecast what the world's going to do and, and that they can somehow have a, have a way to uh, kind of screw with that stuff, but really just take care of yourself and worry about yourself. And you know what the world's going to do, it's going to do. You know, Freud said something great. Uh, somebody asked Freud to sum up his life work in one sentence, and he said, okay, he said, secrets make you sick. Mm. When we keep our unique ability, when we keep our zone of genius a secret to ourselves and to the world, it makes us sick. It makes us, the world, it makes our lives uh, much less satisfying. Yes, it absolutely does. And I, that's why I appreciate what you're doing in the world and, uh, and others like you and helping bring this message out to people that really need to hear it because it changes a lot of lives once you understand what we're talking about here. Oh, thank you, Gay. I appreciate it. So, so what's another tool that we can give our listener to help him stay on track? Well, probably the most powerful tool I give in The Big Leap is what I call the ultimate success mantra. And what it is, it's a sentence. And it's a very powerful sentence that's packed with a number of key ideas. And I found that if I can give it to people in just one sentence, something they can kind of roll around in their minds now and then, it helps to center themselves and give them a, a direction because you can always recenter yourself by asking yourself a few good questions like we've talked about and by saying this mantra. And here's the mantra. I expand in abundance, success, and love every day as I inspire those around me to do the same. So try on the ideas. The idea in that is to expand in abundance, in other words, to get richer every day, to be more successful every day, and to feel more love every day as you inspire those around you to do the same. And I find that when you're living in accordance with that sentence, with accordance to those ideas, life takes on a particular glow. You know, I haven't had a dull moment in, gosh, 30 years. I can't even remember what a dull moment feels like, you know, be, <laughs> because I keep that mantra going all the time. If I'm in an airport or something like that where I'm dog tired at the end of a day, you know, I've given a talk or been on a talk show or something and I'm sitting there at 11 o'clock waiting for the plane that's three hours late, uh, you know, I come back to that. I say to myself, okay, here's what my life is about. I expand in abundance, success, and love every day as I inspire those around me to do the same. 
That's why I'm sitting in an airport at 11 o'clock tired. And, you know, the moment I come back to that, I'm not as tired anymore. Suddenly I realize what's the purpose of my life. There's a story that uh, Stephen Covey uh, told one time uh, about a traveler back in the Middle Ages is traveling along on horseback, and he comes to a place where he can see a bunch of workmen carrying these big stones from a riverbank all the way to a top of a hill nearby. And he sees that some of the workmen have a big smile on their face, and some of the workmen are cursing and groaning and sweating and bitching and moaning about the uh, carrying the rock. And so he, he asked one of the people that were bitching and moaning, he said, what are you doing? And he said, can't you see I'm carrying rocks up a hill? And he asked one of the guys with a smile on his face, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a th- cathedral that's going to be on the top of that hill someday. Mm. And so having a purpose for your life, having a driving intention, having that ultimate success mantra behind you all the time, I find makes for really exhilarating living. I think it's amazing, too, because we can get caught up in the content of our day. Well, geez, I'm, I'm balancing my checkbook, and I'm having to change a diaper, and I'm having to do this and that. But if we can touch in with what's the thing that has us doing those things, uh, suddenly we're not so—I I just feel—I feel less stuck in those times. Like, no, I am building that cathedral. I am working towards this, uh, this goal that I have and this, and this ideal that I have for my own life. That's exactly right. And that's why I like to keep that written on my wall. I got it on my dashboard. I write, I, I have people write it everywhere, put it down on little three by five cards and put it on the corner of their desktop, just any place where you can occasionally touch in with it. You don't have to go around repeating it obsessively in your mind, but just where you can touch in with it and recenter yourself now and then. Besides curing headaches and those types of things, what's in it for this guy if he were to actually follow through on what we what we talked about today? What's on the other side for him? Let's help him just kind of, you know, set that North Star for himself to commit to revealing his zone of genius and articulate it and start to put that out there in the world. What's possible for him? Life is supposed to be fun. If you find yourself not having a good time, you're doing something wrong. So sit down on the curb where you are and figure out what that thing is that you're doing wrong and quit doing it and get back on track because life is supposed to be about having a good time, having a great time and helping others have a great time. That's what life should be about, in my opinion. You know, there's various religions that say life is supposed to be suffering and all that kind of stuff, but I don't buy it. Um, I think that life is supposed to be about having a great time and helping other people have a great time. And as long as I've been involved in doing that, I've been uh, happy as a clam and uh, continue to plan to keep doing it that way. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.